getting to know you. And so this morning, I hope more than anything, we set up an opportunity for you to have a conversation with us over something that you're having a faith conversation, uh, a question about. So if we don't give you good answers, please invite us to coffee, ask us to lunch, or some other way pursue us so that we can continue to get to know you guys and the question behind that. So uh, on, our, on, our, on the end here, we have Michael. Michael's hey, our friends. student pastor. He coordinates... Um, in the biggest way, his main focus is on Wednesday nights when he's gathered with middle and high schoolers. So he's going to be the guy taking kids to camp this summer uh, and all throughout the summer and all throughout the fall just pouring into them. He builds up a team of people who, um, who help lead and build relationships with students. And we're very blessed to have Michael with us. So uh, he is a Roll Tide fan, so take that for what you will. Thank you, whoever over here just yeah. wooed. I appreciate it. Love so, you too. You guys probably know... You guys probably know Kim. Kim is uh, Chris's wife, our main pastor, and we are so blessed to have her here. She has a beautiful voice, but even more than that, she has a heart um, for for spiritual growth and for ladies. And so we just love having her insight on stage today. So Dave, Dave is actually someone who came to faith at one church. And so we are so blessed to have Dave, but Dave's only been a Christian about four years. And so he's going to share from an experience of somebody who's kind of jumped in with both feet after he found Jesus and kind of has fresh perspective on what church world is, what we're trying to do, and who we are. So, and then if you don't know me, I'm Patrick Fowler. I'm the small groups and next steps pastor here. And so my life and ministry revolve around creating conversations during the week. Uh, and I hope that uh, this is a good conversation, but I hope more so that it sets you guys up to want to pursue conversation in a small group environment. So uh, we're going to have a number up on the screens. Uh, one is for prayer, and there's one for questions. Feel free to use uh, one or both of those throughout the course of the morning. And uh, we're going to start with the question we got that's probably um, the most important we could answer um, from last week. And it was simply this, uh, I have a teenager. Dear Lord, I think that's enough, right? <laughs> um, I think the stress is affecting my health, so I need a book or a verse that could help me as a parent. Well, Patrick cornered me backstage, and he was like, well, Kim, since you have a teenager, you get to answer this question. So, um, you know, teenagers, hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. Things that make you go, ugh. Um, we, uh, Chris and I, our oldest son is 17. His name is Walt. And um, I will have to say that raising him has been probably about the biggest adventure of our lives. Um, you know, sometimes I look at him in amazement because I see God, like, shaping him into a man. I see God pouring into him. I see his personality. I see his potential. I see, you know, all these amazing things that God has for Walt and what he can do. And I just am like, oh my gosh, this is like amazing to be a part of this. And other days I look at him and I think, are you human? Like, are you even alive in there? Is there anything happening? And, and, uh, and so it's, you know, parenting a teenager is just one of those things of like super high highs and very low lows. And it's really easy to begin to base my self-worth as a parent on his actions or reactions or what he does or doesn't do. And, um, and there's a verse I want to share with you this morning in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. And it says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So I want to start with the first part of that. I want to talk about train up. Now, when we think about training, I don't know about you guys, but when I think about training, I think about something that takes time, it takes discipline, it takes motivation, it takes determination. When you train for something, it means that you're being very intentional about the end, about the outcome. I don't know about you, but most of us don't just go out and do 
you know, a hundred push-ups for the heck of it. Or we don't just run 26 miles just because, or well, I don't. If I'm going to run 26, I'm in a marathon. But either way, so there's a goal for training. And that's what we do as parents, and especially parents of teens. We're in that place where we're training them, helping to train them, helping to get them to where God wants them to be. And so it's not just about what we do. It's not just about our role. It's about God's promise to us. Because at the end of that verse, after it says, train up a child, then it also says that he, when he's old, he won't depart from it. Now, when he's old, for me, guys, I hope that means 18, right? I hope it doesn't mean like 35. Um, but, but basically, we have that promise from the Lord that when we train up according to what God says in his word, when we follow what God says to us as parents, when we pray for our children, when we live our faith in front of them, then God says, that's going to come back. Your child's going to remember that. Your child is going to come back to me or stay with me or follow in my path. So I want to encourage you today, if you have a teenager and you're feeling weary and you guys are button heads all the time and it doesn't seem like there's anything you can agree on, it's oil and water and everything, hang in there. We have God's promise. And when we ourselves are training and disciplined and motivated and passionate about our relationship with God and our teenagers see that, God promises us that they will return to it, that they will stay with it. Uh, now, you know, when, just kind of introduce myself, I was a student pastor here for like two and a half years. Uh, teenagers don't bother me t- too much. Seventh graders, like they just confuse <laughs> me. Um, like, they just quit being humans for a whole year. They're like out back behind the church, smoking cigarettes and playing Pokemon cards whoa, like at whoa, the same whoa. time. So <laughs> no, I just, I just don't get them. Uh, no, uh, but teenagers, I, I have a better verse. Like if, if, if what she, you know, recommends doesn't seem to work out for you, uh, Deuteronomy old school, uh, you know, I'm an old school guy. So go back to Deuteronomy. Uh, it says, you know, if you have a, a son that's, you know, uh, rebellious and, and, uh, unruly, uh, to take him to the elders uh, of of the town and tell them that he's a drunkard and a and a glutton, <laughs> and then have all of the, uh, the 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 men of the town stone him, and, and that's not like you know, good, not, good, not like good, what's like what's like legal in Washington, you know, uh-huh. but uh, like no, no, seriously, the best thing I can suggest, uh, uh, you know, f- something that we do here at the church is we want to partner with you as a parent. Uh, and so that's why we actually have Michael Knowles on staff. He, he does a lot of work with pouring into uh, very healthy adults that are going to come alongside you, say similar things that you would say, but it always sounds better coming from somebody else that's not your parents. So uh, yeah, so definitely get them over to our student ministry. Yeah, the verse that comes to mind that we use is just a cord of three, th- three strands is not easily broken, that, um, that you need somebody to partner with you in your life who can speak into your kid's life in a way that they can't hear it from, from a parent. And uh, I know for me that was pivotal in my walk, having another voice in there, a voice of maturity who could give me advice that I was willing to listen to. So, and what you said earlier too, Patrick, was good when we were talking about it, about be careful not to build your life around your children. Yeah. We've talked about that here before, especially in, in light of our marriages, that we don't want our, our children to be the center of our home. They're a part of our home, but Christ is the center of our home. And sometimes I think as parents, we can get sidetracked on that. It doesn't matter the age of our child. It's very easy for us to focus all of our time and attention in that direction. So to be sure that you are also nurturing your relationship with Christ and with your spouse, really important. Yeah, because I'm in a stage right now where you get sucked into building your world around your your kid because I've got a two-year-old and I've got a seven-month-old and they need all of my attention. They're constantly, they're dependent upon me to move around the house, to move anywhere. 
Uh, and so uh, it's easy to build your life around them at my stage, and then you find out years down the road you've still got your life yes. built around them. Yes. So um, totally agree. Well, the next question is a lot, lot more challenging, more on the adult level, and it simply uh, says, I know that divorce is only traditional acceptable um, when uh, adultery is present, when, when one partner cheats on the other. And that's a traditional church kind of upholds that. It says, but what if your spouse is out to get you? I've been told by various authority figures that I needed a divorce for safety, for my safety. Mm. Um, that's a heavy one. Um, I, I would say nobody, at least in our church circles, is going to invite someone to stay in a relationship, especially in a home, where they feel like they're in danger, especially physically. Like you've, I don't think it's safe for any pastor, regardless of what... Um, um, what end goal we're looking towards to say stay in a dangerous place. If you're in a dangerous place, you need to, you need to get out um, in order to heal and get, um, get things straightened out. And in a situation that intense, you probably need to look not just to an authority figure, but I would hope a counselor, somebody who can specifically spend hours getting to know the details of the situation and talk to you. Um, from a church standpoint, um, we're not counselors. We do do some of that, but we usually point people towards professionals who are much better at handling that. But in terms of the advice a pastor would give you, I would say if I was sitting with you and you gave me that much insight, uh, my advice beyond get somewhere where you're safe is, um, is that God's ideal is for a marriage always to stay together, that the best guarantee of happiness, and we just did a series on this recently uh, called Bedroom Confessions where we talked about people who push through hard times say that they are happier than people who get a divorce and walk away. So we think the best guarantee is, is God's ideal, which is to stay together. But that's in the real world, that's not always possible. Sometimes it is danger um, that someone puts upon you, and sometimes it's just not something you can do. Uh, again, we're not all perfect. We're not all at the place Jesus was, and, and sometimes that means we can't sustain the marriage, and we've got to move on. And as a pastor, we want to point you at the ideal and have you consider it, but then we want to ask you to decide for yourself what is real for you, what is the best step for you right here and right now, and then we want to walk through that with you. We want to shed tears with you. We want to hold hands with you. We want to pray with, for you and, and make you feel God's comfort in a difficult time with a difficult situation. And ultimately, our goal is not to judge you for, quote-unquote, not sticking to the Bible. Because let's be honest, none of us stick to the Bible. I mean, the place where Jesus says this um, line about marriage, or divorce is only acceptable in the case of adultery, he goes on to say, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. So I think most men, if not all men, have violated that rule. So... If we can't live up to that ideal, we're not going to judge you or tell you to leave the church because you don't live up to this ideal. Our, our goal is to push everybody towards the ideal and to pray and comfort one another when we fall short. So. Uh, just to lighten the mood a little bit, we got a uh, question that said, what do we think about Michael Knowles' new haircut? Mm. And, mm. and I just, wow. just want to say from the depths of my heart, Michelle Clark, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> I, I dig it, man. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> Michael's hair was orange the summer before he came and joined us uh, at camp. So he's come a long way. So we take credit for this. You look great. Thank you. So, um, this is a good shirt. <laughs> Other than faith, are there positive addictions? That's kind of a unique question. What do you guys think about that? So if you Google the definition of addiction, uh, it says a devotion to, dedication to, obsession with, infatuation with, passion for, love of, mania for, mania for or enslavement to. 
Mm. Uh, and the last part, the enslavement too, that uh, I think anything that enslaves you is bad for you. So whatever it is, I think you can dive in wholeheartedly to things. But at the point where they begin to control your life and cause you to neglect other really important things in your life, I would say that becomes very dangerous for you. Yeah. I mean, I know um, a couple of us on, on staff, we like to run, we like to work out, like to stay healthy. I think that's, you could call that an addiction if people are passionate for it. And, uh, and that, to me, keeps my mind clear, keeps me focused, and that could be, I guess, a positive uh, addiction. That's more of a habit that just helps me. Um, there was a guy who wrote a book um, where he talked about what he called um, key habits, keystone habits that set you up for success. And exercise was one he thought most people helped them stay healthier and stay more focused and be more energetic. So I guess it's a positive addiction, but that's more advice. I don't know that we could point you at anything in the Bible that says... Um, exercise. Um, there's something in the Bible that says walk with the wise people. Those who walk with the wise grow wise. So if, if there's a positive addiction outside of just faith, I would say it's, it's being around people who support and build you up, which I'm the small groups pastor. So, hey, you know, I guess that's a, a plug for that. small groups ineffectively. But, but Proverbs does say, he who walks with the wise grows wise and the companion of fools suffers harm. And I would say something that's guided me and blessed me uh, much like we talked about with the teenager question, is being around people who could give me the advice that I needed at the time I needed it. Right now, with a two-year-old and a seven-month-old, it's being around parents who much further in the journey who can help me have perspective and do the right thing right now. And uh, without those people, I wouldn't be as good a parent as I could be. Even with all the wisdom Scripture gives, Scripture tells me to look to other people for advice as well. Uh, I got another question. Uh, it says, the relationship I'm currently in does not draw me closer to God. I've given my heart to Jesus, but I'm not quite sure my partner has. I feel discouraged, and I feel like I'm being pushed away from my partner and from God. As a couple, we are not on the same level when it comes to our faith. I know I should lead by example and stand firm in my beliefs, but it's so hard when my partner disagrees. I love my partner, and I want to be with them, but I want to grow closer to God even more. After all, he would be the one we are both chasing after. Any ideas on what I can do? Uh, this is going to be a situation where, again, we're always going to promote the ideal um, in, in some situations where we're going to accept what's real. Um, the ideal, the, the, what Scripture says is that um, you should always be uh, uh, was equally yoked, uh, that, that you should be standing together. She's got it pulled up already. Uh, says, okay, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light uh, have with darkness? So here's the thing. Um, we, you know, uh, <laughs> there was this uh, thing that kind of passed through uh, at some point in time, the whole flirt to convert, you know, phase mentality, the, the go out and, you know, find yourself a heathen and make him into a believing, um, you know, that kind of thing. It doesn't work. Um, it's not the best thing. And typically those relationships always end in both, uh, both parties getting hurt. And honestly, even the, the one that you're the, the heathen, quote, unquote, uh, typically goes further away from God. Um, you are going to run into a lot of issues uh, if you choose to move forward with this relationship, uh, whoever you are out there. It's going to be hard. You're going to have kids that are going to come down the line. You're going to have struggles. And if you're already having struggles with standing in your faith now, it's going to only get worse. Just an observation. Um, when I was in um, seminary looking at doing pastoral studies, I was around a lot of other people who wanted to be pastors, very passionate about ministry and about teaching people about God. Um, and, and for about half of them, their spouse was equally as passionate about that. And for the other half, 
their spouse a lot of times didn't care. It was just a job. Um, looking back on that, I would tell you the majority of people whose uh, who's, their passion wasn't their spouse's passion didn't stay in ministry long. And the majority of people who were passionate and their spouse was passionate have gotten so much better at what they were passionate about. I would just say, you want someone, if this is a lifelong thing for you, and faith should be an all-encompassing lifelong thing, then you need a partner who's, if you're dating, not if you're married, but if you're dating, you want to date someone who's equally as passionate. And if you're married, your prayer is that your spouse gets equally as passionate. Um, You don't go to leave them. You go to let God change their heart and give them the passion you have. But in a dating relationship, I would say that's, that's just setting yourself up for failure. Well, I think, too, a good question to ask yourself is if someone asked you this question, how would you respond, knowing where you are in your faith? I think sometimes when we are in a situation, it's so much harder for us to answer that question for ourselves because our emotions are involved. But if we were to just spin the camera around and if someone were to come to you and ask you that same question, the advice that you would give to them and the counsel and the wisdom that you would share with them is that same counsel and wisdom that you can apply to your own life. And, and of course, with love and graciousness and care, um, because that is how God, that's how he sees us and that's how he longs to interact with us. So um, just remembering that sometimes those questions that are so hard to um, to answer in our own hearts and minds, uh, we, we can just pull that lens out a little bit, becomes clearer to us. Uh, and then finally, uh, I mean, be, whatever decision you make in this, if you do make the decision to walk away from the relationship, always give the opportunity to have that conversation beforehand. Give them the opportunity to possibly take steps or start to take steps uh, towards where you are with your walk with God. So, The hard question we got um, so far this morning is, is abortion wrong if you've been raped? Let me start by saying our first movement, um, talking to someone who's in this situation, is not to talk about what to do next. It's just to love on them and be a part of the pain with them. So, because they were raped. And that's a terrible, traumatic thing that's going to follow them for the rest of their life, whether or not they got pregnant or not. That's a terrible experience. And God and the church, I think, should be the best at helping people walk through difficult situations like that. Um, I, think, I think this is the place to run when you're in a tough situation like that. Um, again, do we have an ideal that we think is best? Uh, we think God can turn anything, no matter how bad, into something good. And so we think that someone who's um, pregnant by whatever means, whether it was a one-night stand, whether it was um, a solid marriage, or whether it was something horrible like rape, God could do something with that child's life that's amazing. Um, and so there's room there for great hope, not just for pain. Uh, is abortion an option? It's, it's clearly an option uh, in this world, and it may be one that you have to take for your own health, but we would say that's not at all God's ideal, and we would, we would want to see you do something and see more hope in this than, than some sort of condemnation or something um, terrible. So Right, and as we were, when we were speaking about divorce earlier, saying for those who have already experienced that, for for women who have already experienced that process, and maybe you've, maybe you've been through an abortion, once again, God meets you right where you are. You don't have to go back and, and fix things or clean yourself up or change your past or, or put on a mask in order to come to him. He knows your past. He knows your present. He knows your future. And scripture is very clear when it says to us that God is forgiving to a thousand generations. 
He's compassionate. He's long-suffering. And he offers that to you exactly where you are. Sometimes the hardest thing to overcome is the self-condemnation, the, the, the blame and the guilt that we place on ourselves. When the Lord looks at a situation like that, he feels sorrow, sorrow over the entire thing and sorrow for the sorrow that you feel. And so I just want to encourage you that if you, if you find yourself in that place and you're struggling with, I'm the one who's so upset. I, I'm the one who's having a hard time letting go. Remember that the Lord meets you right in that place. Cry out to him, pray to him, tell him exactly how you're feeling, and he will meet you there. And we as a church will also meet you there. We will love you. We will walk beside you. We will listen. We will cry. Whatever it is that you need, we're here for you. Yeah, we'll never judge you on that at all. Uh, The next question we have is, uh, uh, what do we think about dating apps such as Tinder and (laughs) and those type of things? Um, Well, I... (laughs) I guess I have a bit of a complicated uh, answer. I have some friends who have used dating apps who have gotten long-lasting relationships. In fact, one of my best friends met his now wife uh, through a dating app, uh, and they are living happily ever after down in Florida, um, much better off than I am. So, um, no, I'm, I'm happily ever after. I'm just not in Florida. Let me correct that. I love my wife. She's amazing. Um, <laughs> uh, sometimes I speak before I think, so. Uh, I feel like there's a Bible verse about that. Um, I'll look it up now. (laughs) So, uh, however, at the same time, there are a lot of people who use these apps, especially Tender. uh, It's probably the worst one. Um, Specifically for, you know, the the hookup, the, you know, uh, quote-unquote booty call. Sorry. I have the microphone. I can say what I want. Um, (laughs) and, And so in that situation, no, it is not a good thing whatsoever. The other problem I have with Tender is, your initial response is just solely based on appearance. And I'm sorry, you cannot tell anything about somebody based on their appearance. You can't tell who they are, how they're going to treat you, that kind of thing. And so, uh, so I do have a struggle with that. Now, I guess the Bible verse I have for you is uh, uh, Matthew chapter 6, I think. Uh, it's, it's in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus says, if your hand causes you to sin, it's better to cut off your hand instead of lose your whole body. If your eye causes you to sin, it's better to gouge out your eye than, than, than again, to lose your whole body. So what it's saying is, is if you have something in your life that is causing you to fall back onto uh, uh, past you know, uh, wrongs, causing you to fall back on sin, it is better to remove that from, um, from you rather than going down that path over and over and over again. I'll give you a great example. If you're an alcoholic and you need a job and there's a bar down the road that's, off, that's hiring bartenders, you probably shouldn't take that job. I mean, that's pretty obvious. If you are somebody that falls back into bad habits whenever it comes to relationships time and time and time again, you probably shouldn't be using Tender to find the people that you're dating. Uh, The next question says, how are you able to find all the teachers and youth pastors to be able to help with the classes you divide by age? Michael, I'll let you. We do that by conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, so meet me in the hallway. How about that? I would love to look, I would love to, I mean, seriously, I would, I would love to look you in the face and, and have a conversation about uh, where you're at with Jesus and, and your walk and your story and um, kind of, if you, like Dave said earlier, if you think seventh graders aren't people, you shouldn't be with seventh graders, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't be with like sixth graders. Well, they're basically the same or, you know, or seniors, you know, kind of that deal. Uh, I would love to absolutely have that conversation with you in the hallway. I would say we always have a shortage of leaders. Um, Because we always want to do more ministry 
and better ministry. So if you feel like you're at a place where you could step up and lead a small group, whether it's youth, whether it's adults, whether it's children here on Sunday morning, um, we would love to have you. And I think you would come to church more excited about the serving than you would about just sitting in the row. Because I know for your leaders and for the children's leaders, they are so excited to do what they do. And uh, it really is. It's cool. Our hope, um, kind of our behind-the-scenes goal at One Church is for everybody to come on Sunday morning and have their life changed and also to be a part of changing somebody's life. And uh, I think if you ever get a chance to really invest and make that a part of your morning, you will never want to miss church because it's just incredible. It's the reason that gets me up in the morning. Ooh, here's a good one. Uh-oh. What is your advice when talking politics with others whom passionately disagree with your views? Dave, I can just see you over there. No, You're like dying for this Don't post one. it on Facebook. <laughs> Let's just say that much right now. I'm tired of seeing Trump this and Clinton that and Sanders this on Facebook. Yeah, and I, yeah, I can be somewhat bad about that myself. But what I've come to learn um, is... Always seek first to understand why they have the view that they have mm. before just giving out your own view. Um, again, I go back to how I needed to le- hear this Bible verse a moment ago, how I, think, I speak before I think. Uh, the Bible says always be uh, quick to listen, slow to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact is I think too often, uh, especially you know, once every four years, uh, we, we jump so quick to thinking. And here, here's the thing. Your guy, that you're, your friend that you're having this you know, debate with, has a completely different background than you do. You might be right. They might be wrong. They might be right. It's hard to say. But I think if we could all uh, take a step back and realize, wait, there's a possibility I could be wrong. There's a possibility that they could be wrong. There's a possibility that they have a different background and as to why they have the view they have. Uh, I think we talked about this a little bit. Places churches get in trouble by trying to convince people from stage especially to do one thing versus another. Um, to, to try to argue from here that you should vote for such and such or, um, or the other party. That ha- has happened a lot at churches. And I'm not saying it's wrong, but for us, our goal is to change hearts and to introduce people to Jesus. We figure like when people get close enough to Jesus, Jesus will, f- will help them figure out who to vote for. And we're more about changing our community and changing our world through that connection and that relationship with Jesus, which changes everything else, than to try to convince you in a really well-put-together argument who to vote for this election. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to focus our time and our energy on the first thing about Jesus, more so than focusing on the politics. Because when we stand up and we talk about politics, we actually, um, what historically we found is we always mess up our ability to connect people to Jesus because they get the wrong message when we argue it from stage. And so there's certain things that we want to have conversations about privately and personally, and there's certain things we want to talk about from here. But politics is not one that we intentionally addressed from stage because it usually backfires from the original purpose. And I'll be honest, for me, um, you know, just, just to have a vulnerable moment, this, this whole thing just scares me to death. Mm-hmm. And, and I know we're not supposed to live in fear as Christians because, as Chris reminded us a couple of weeks ago, God is in charge of who's in charge. Um, and so I know that, you know, the Lord has a plan and he has a timeline and, and we, are, we are set on his timeline that we're supposed to say, Lord, I know, I know you've got the timeline, you place me on it. Um, but when I start seeing these things and hearing in Facebook posts and the news and debates and just the, the hate and the ugliness that comes out, y'all, I just, I just want to like go to my room and shut the door and like, y'all just hush. Um, it's just, uh, 
I don't know. It's, it's something for me that um, it's one of those areas where I probably bury my head in the sand more than um, really get educated about it. So if anybody else is in that boat, I just wanted you to have a vulnerable moment with me. God's in charge of who's in charge. And that's who I vote for. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, was, I was listening to a pastor one time in, in election year, and, and he said this, and, and I thought it was great, so I'm going to share it with you. He said, whether it's a donkey or an elephant, they both give you a lot of poop. So that's just kind of where I'm at. With it. You're welcome. Thank you, Mike, for that insightful little bit there. What does the Lord's favor and protection look like? How do we enjoy God's favor and protection and blessings when there are Christians facing death for their beliefs? Uh, this gets us out of the U.S. circle, which I love, because I, I, I'll, I'll see like seven headlines about Trump and Clinton and one about a thousand people dying in Africa. And I'm like, why isn't that one at the top of the list? Um, We do live in a world that has very dark spots. And to be honest with technology, we can find out about them as they're happening, which is even more depressing. You know, before a generation ago, it was a week, it was two weeks. You may never hear about something major major happening, but with technology, we can not only hear about it, but we can literally watch it happen, which is is a terrible thing. In some respects, it can be very negative because negative news sells. Um, and when we talk about Christianity, and this is a bias I come back to even now, I always think God's going to make life easy for me. I get really upset when things start to get hard, and I'm like, God, I'm your follower. Why, why aren't you making this easy for me? I thought I was your child. And, uh, and yet, if I will just take time to look at the big picture, I know that God's always with me in my struggles. But the big picture is our world has never been more exciting. Christianity has never been bigger. There's never been more faith Jesus followers in the world than there are today. In fact, we're outnumbered. It used to be that English was kind of the primary language of Christianity, but there are more Spanish-speaking Christians now because of how big Christianity has grown in South America. And there are more Chinese-speaking Christians very soon than both groups combined, English or Spanish-speaking. And that's awesome. The world is literally being taken over by Christianity as it spreads throughout countries. It may not look great in our world or in our community sometimes, but it looks amazing um, outside of that. And, uh, and I think that should give us a lot of hope. And I think in some respects that should take our minds a little bit further off of why am I not blessed? Why do I not have the new Camaro? Why do I not have the new, um, you know, why do I not have the gold-plated, you know, shoes or whatever? Cold plated shoes. All right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no. Um, and and he, he was really touching on it towards the end. I really think we, conf- we, we really confuse the fact that we live in America and we have this, 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 and this as God's favor. You don't live in America because God loves you more than somebody who lives in, in Syria. You live in, in, in America because you were lucky enough to be born in America. Like, that is really what it comes down to. Now, don't get me wrong, we should be thankful for everything that we have. But, but here, I, I just want to read something to you. And this is, you know, I love the Sermon on the Mount. And everything I quote is probably going to be from Matthew just because he's a great guy. Um, the Beatitudes says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. He blesses those who mourn. He blesses those who are humble. He blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. And I love it. I'm just going to skip to the end of this real fast. He says, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things about you because you are my followers. 
Not once did he say God blesses those who are, you know, making six figures a year. God blesses those who have a nice house with a nice yard. God blesses those who have an awesome dog. You know, the perfect family, the, 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 the mother, father, and two beautiful children. Like, that's never what he talks about with the blessing. The blessing is knowing that you can do more for him. And so, so really remove this idea that we're sitting here living in a world and we're living in a thing of favor and, and blessing when in reality, we're probably less blessed than, than many. And to your point on the personal level, I think our blessing really is that God is with us no matter what happens. Um, that is huge, that God is always with us. And our blessing is in a future life where all this pain, all this struggle, all this, I need this, uh, I need this sustain, sustain life is going to be gone. Um, Jesus said, um, it says in Scripture that there was joy set before him that, that caused him to go to the cross and die for us. And the fact that Jesus could face death with joy uh, means that that future life, that end goal for us, should motivate us to push through the, diffi- the most difficult times. And the fact that God is with us in those difficult times is also what helps us because we can hear his voice that the believers who lose their faith, who die for their faith, a lot of times their intimacy with God is what keeps them going in those situations. And I know there's bits and pieces of that that we can observe today, but if you look at Scripture, um, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, who wrote most of the letters that you can read about church life, he was a guy who who lists off the number of times he faced death, being stoned, being shipwrecked, being beaten, and then eventually dying in Rome basically the worst case scenario but all throughout that time he calls he asks us to rejoice he tells us to keep our eyes focused on the end and that's not an easy answer but it's something in the midst of difficult circumstances that you can figure out and and you've got plenty of advice from guys like paul who are in much worse circumstances than we are a lot of times who can help you see the blessing in there but i'd say the blessing is god's presence and it's the life to come if it's nothing else it's definitely those two those should be our focus in difficult times uh, we got a question in the last service uh, that I really wanted to kind of bring to this service uh, as well. And uh, the question was, do, um, do we truly believe God is real? Do we truly believe that he is a being? Uh, that if, if, if they were to bring evidence that, that God does not exist, how much evidence would it take for us to be able to say that he doesn't exist? And uh, um, I'll kind of start it off myself because Patrick kind of alluded to, to my past um, I was an atheist for 10 years. I wasn't just an atheist. I was like the atheist. Um, I'm, you know, very well versed. I know I look like an idiot, but I'm actually somewhat intelligent. I'm also very humble. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I was very well versed in science. I, I, I you know, I, my, my poor wife, she gets so tired of hearing about, you know, quantum mechanics and theory of relativity. And I'm, you know, I'm finally like, hey, I think I finally figured out how, how I can explain, you know, like gravitation to you. Uh, and, you know, and so like she's really tired of hearing about it. And of course, now my big thing is like string theory because that's, you know, not like a capital T theory. It's just a lowercase t theory. And I just love this, this whole uh, idea and of 11 dimensions, which just blows my mind. I just love science so much. And so here's the thing. No, I'm boring you guys, and you guys are like, why do we let this guy on stage? Shut up. Um, no, I, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I came from a background where I was an atheist for a very long time, and, and I had all the arguments. And the question that you could have asked me five years ago um, was, what will it take to get you to believe that God exists? 
And see, that, that's the real question for me, because at that point in time, it would have taken a life-altering situation, a situation that I could undeniably say that me, myself, personally had an experience with God. And you can say, you know, you can bring all the scientific argument you want, and, and I will take it and eat it up, and I'll love it. And, and, you know, you can say that we're atoms, and those atoms are made out of protons and neutrons, and those are made out of smaller things like quarks. And, and, and we can talk about that all day. And, and yes, you are 100% right. We are all nothing but atoms and matter and, and just, you know, congeal together. But that does not prove that God did not make that happen. Yes, we are cells. Yes, we, 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 we can explain how the universe works. That doesn't mean God didn't say that happened. And here's the big thing, and you can say, say that all you want, but what you can never disprove is that on August, uh, August 14th of 2011, I was sitting back in a chair, um, way in the back because, you know, um, just I was an atheist and I didn't want anybody to know I was here. And so I was way back there at the 11 o'clock service, and Chris come up, comes out to talk, and I had a face-to-face um, you know, personal experience with God. And you can never take that from me. I will always hold on to that. That is what caused me to, to, to believe in God. It is not, you know, an argument about the Bible. It's not an argument about science. It is a personal experience that I had. And so there, I can honestly say it's not a belief. It's not a faith. I know that God exists. And to unpack what you're saying, Dave, um, for most of us, I think, the reason we came to faith is not great arguments. It's an encounter with God. Right. That we chose to let God set the terms and, and encounter us. And I would say if you're out there and you don't have faith, you say, you, I, wouldn't, I don't have a relationship with God. I would say if you'll be open to him, in, encountering him on his terms, the same thing happens to you. And your doubts don't just magically disappear. And That's you still not, love science. I still love science. I'm... Uh, you know, I, Neil deGrasse Tyson came to Nashville not that long ago, and I was this close to going. But, but, but you see science now as a way to get to, God, get to know God better. And the so, doubts are, are kind of in the corner, and they get processed piece by piece. It's the same with me. Same with many people. C.S. Lewis is a famous, famous author. If you're an intellectual and you're having trouble with faith, C.S. Lewis kind of argued his, argued, tried to argue out of Christianity and ended up arguing himself into faith. And uh, that does happen, but I think more so. If we will just meet God on his terms, he shows up. For me, many of the people who want to argue me out of faith, and I, again, if you want to send your arguments, I do like listening to those things. But I think more so, most people who, who use arguments to say that they don't believe in God, it's more so a struggle with something personal in their life. And I think it's more realistic, just to be honest, and say, I really dislike God because of something personal that I've run up against. A lot of times it's, if there was a good God, he wouldn't have let this horrible thing happen to me or to somebody I love. And that is a perfect argument to have because that is difficult to work through. But I think you can even see God in that if you'll take time to process it. Um, and uh, and I, like to, I like to hear arguments. I like to hear about science. I'm a bit of a geek as well. But ultimately, when I sit down, I want to get to know you as well because to me, there's always a personal reason to kind of put the hands up against God. And I just want to be able to pray for that because emotionally that is the big barrier for most people. And um, I'm not going to deny it's a barrier, and I just want to be a friend that knows it because something like rape and abortion and a lot of those things, we feel like we've done something so bad God would never accept us. And that's just not true. That's the biggest lie we could ever believe. Or that, um, or that God just, we're just not valuable enough for God to want us. 
And neither of those is true. God is the most loving, most amazing person on this, in this world. Constantly, Jesus says, if an if a earthly father can be this good, just imagine how good God can be. And I think so often we just don't look at him in those terms. And, and I, I think, so I'm going to run two questions together. Dave's answer on that one. And, and our friend that asked about uh, sharing your faith and if somebody kind of rebuttals and has some arguments, I think you said the same thing that Dave closed with. What, you can't argue with what God did in my life. Like, if you knew who I was and who I am now, and you knew what I had done and, and who I am now, you can't argue with that. Like, how am I going to say, oh, well, uh, that the, the wasn't God. You didn't actually experience I wasn't there. Like, you're the only person that's experienced that. And so if you're walking in a relationship with Jesus and you've encountered Jesus and he absolutely messed up your life and wrecked you and, and now you, you have that relationship that's what you go to. Like, yes, you can argue theories and science all day long, and I'm all for that. But at the end of the day, we don't have all the answers. At the end of the day, you're not going to have all the answers. So Somebody's always out there smarter than you and knows more than you. But they can't say that what you experienced in the back row, Dave, didn't happen. Like, they just can't. So. And hopefully it gives them hope that it would happen to them. If they, if they left it to that. Because that's what I tell people all the time. When I'm talking faith with somebody, I say, when I was 11, um, I encountered God in a way that, that was personal. I needed that Savior. And uh, he showed up. And he's been with me ever since. And I just want to give people hope that that is what God wants for them. And that they can, they can, that same thing can happen. And it doesn't take but 20 seconds to share that. Um, versus going into a six-hour discussion about free will and uh, quantum mechanics and timelessness and all that fun stuff. But I, and I want to add to that because I, I so agree with what you're saying that our experience and our relationship are key. No one can argue with our story. You know, we all have a story. God has given every one of us a story. And whether that's a story of overcoming something or, or going through a difficult time, um, I think part of the reason that God allows us to go through that is so that we can have a story. Because when we have that, that's very real and that's very personal. But I want to be careful, too, because sometimes I feel like um, we, we may be quick to dismiss the Bible. And that is the foundation of our faith. And I want to encourage you, don't be scared of God's Word. I think sometimes we look at it and we get overwhelmed by it. And how am I supposed to know all this stuff? And how am I supposed to know it's true? And how am I supposed to, you know, really think that some of the things that happened in the Old Testament, there was some crazy stuff that went on in there. And then in the New Testament, you know, the, when Christ was crucified and rose from the dead, I mean, how, what do, how, do I, how do I make sense of all this? And I just want to share a scripture with you because this came up in first service as well. Um, and this is 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. And so when we encounter someone who maybe has questions or wants to argue about faith issues or question the Bible, this for me is a huge place to start because this tells me that the Bible is true, that God made sure that his word has survived. And when I know it and when I read it and when I pray about it and when it's in my heart and in my mind, the Lord will use that. He promises us that when we are in his word, it will not go out without being useful. We can't speak it without it having an effect. And so I just want to 
on top of all that, on top of relationship and on top of sharing your story, don't discount the importance and the relevance and how very needed the word of God is. We've got to be in it as we take scripture in and as we speak it out. That's, I love to think of it as like breathing the word. As I take the word in, as I read it, and as I speak it back out, I'm just breathing and living and digesting that word and sending it.